Hey guys, have you checked out 336 Daily? Did you know that sometimes, in fact, pretty often, I've been recording it in my car while driving to different job sites? That's how easy Anchor is to make podcasts. With Anchor, you can record your podcast and edit your podcast and upload your podcast all in the Anchor app, and then it makes sure it goes after iTunes and Spotify and wherever you need to put it. It, they take care of everything, distribution. They help you with advertising and getting in commercials. Check out the Anchor app. Go to the App Store and download the Anchor app for free or go to anchor.fm to check it out. Today on the show, Section 326 is joined by joined with Ken McCusick. So we'll get... Oh, man. Tyler. <laughs> I'll give Matt a moment. Yes, yeah, so we're joined by Ken McCusick today. So we're going to talk a little bit of Orioles, some pitching issues with the Orioles, and uh, Cashner and Vargas people are talking about, but we're going to go deep in on the Ravens since it's the bye week. We're halfway through the season, and we're going to get in all that and more on this week's Section 336. Section 336. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Baltimore sports fans of all ages, welcome to Section 336, the next generation of Baltimore sports talk. I'm your endearly stuttering host, Matt Soroka. As always, I'm joined by the Zany Burt Rowdy. Good morning, 336ers. And the button lover, Josh Soroka. We've done late night shows. I don't think we've ever done a morning show. Maybe a <laughs> Sarasota special morning show. I don't know. But Maybe. I remember doing a podcast. Oh, Birdland Radio, we've done early. Oh, no, that's you are right. Every year we do Birdland that Radio. That was really early, and we yeah, go on. Yeah. What's I think the first show is nine a.m. on that day. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. I, I can't wait till next year. Uh, today we're also joined. We have a uh, a a fourth person here on Facebook Live that you can follow us every Monday on Fa- every Tuesday at Facebook Live. Right. But today, of course, Saturday morning. Just setting it up here. Uh, we're joined by Ken McCusick, Mr. Film Study himself. Ken, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Life's good. Yeah, it's 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 been a while, Ken, and now we're at kind of the halfway point of the Ravens season, and we're going to get into the Ravens and spend a lot of time talking about the Ravens today. But I want to start with the Orioles, if you don't mind, Ken, because I know you follow closely the Orioles as well. And there's lots of news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um we talked a lot last week on the show about how the Orioles have about $40 million this offseason to spend. It looks like they're going to have about $40 million to spend. And so the question becomes, where do you put those resources? Uh, and, and I'm all about, I mean, there's talk about another left-handed hitter or another catcher. And I'm like, are you insane? <laughs> like, put every single dollar into pitching. Um, Ken, as you look at the, at the Orioles offseason, uh, do you do you have any thoughts on the direction they should? I mean, obviously address starting pitching, but outside of that, is there a guy as far as a free agent that you like, or what, what direction do you think the Orioles should, should go here this offseason? 
Well, I think that the successful strategy with free agents has been not to sign them unless they're at the very top end. So I, I, I don't really like going after a mid-tier free agent. You can get some bargain bin guys at the bottom, but it's the guys who get you in trouble are the Mark Trumbos of the world who cost you $12 million and are not very good relative to the league. So I, I don't want to look for that kind of a player. With the uh, uh, money they've got, I would think the first thing to do would be to sign Manny and Scope, not to spend the money mm -hmm. outside the organization. But... Uh, We'll see. Yeah, yeah, that that's yeah, that, that's true. And you're right. And those mid mid tier guys is how you end up with Ubaldo Jimenez and Giovanni Gallardo and Mark Trumbos, um, kind of the guys you want to avoid. So yeah, either go for high end. The problem with starting pitching though is there's the high end guys and there's like two oh, no. of them. Yeah, and and, and you don't want to sign the guy who's got seven years for any pitcher. I mean, look at the problems the Red Sox already have with Price. I just yep. don't believe in betting in the long term future on a pitcher at all. Yeah, especially when you look at the top ones available this year, like you Darvish, who's had some issues, Tanaka, who's had some arm issues, elbow issues, Jake Arrieta, who's had some consistency issues. Yeah, it seems to be wise to avoid that top tier. But if you avoid the top tier and you can't go with the mid-tier because it doesn't usually work out well, where is our starting pitching left? <laughs> I mean, who we have? Uh, yeah, or, or some bargain basement guys. You know, you got to yeah. figure out what you can what you can get from there. It's it's not easy. I mean, just investing in pitching, putting a lot of money in pitching is generally a losing a losing strategy. Yeah, so you have to grow your own arms, and they really haven't been as successful with that. But I, I agree with you. Like, let's address Manny Machado while you have some money available. Let's address Manny Machado, and let's address Jonathan Scope. At least make a strong attempt to do that. I'm with you there, Ken. Right. So the 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 rumors now are Andrew Kashner and Jason Vargas. So they're yeah, I've not, heard a lot of Jason Vargas. Right. They're yeah. not top guys. I guess they're mid guys. If you consider the mid is a big section, are you okay with those moves? Is that enough? I think Kashner's terrible. I don't want anything to do with him. I haven't looked a whole lot into Jason Vargas. Um, so I, I, we'll have to come back to Jason Vargas. But Andrew Kashner is a bum. I don't want him. Okay. Bert, your thoughts? I think they're more of the same. Yeah. Oh, Jason Vargas, Andrew Kashner. Yeah, it's it's – there are guys who will be available in February who will probably get, and everyone will be thrilled about it until they suck, just like everybody else we sign. <laughs> well, the, yeah. the, the good news is that there's rumors in November that, that it's not Duquette's on vacation until February like every other year. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're not guys – they're not going to take us to the World Series. I'll tell you that. Is, no. is career ERA plus for Kashner is 102 uh, a park-adjusted basis. It's, it's definitely not an exciting signing. You'd be getting him starting at age 31. And yeah. so you've got to project forward from there. He's a pitcher. So if you're signing him for three or four or five or six years, and I don't know how many years it would be, probably not six, but it might be four. Um, if you're projecting forward, you've got to se severely discount years that are in the future, unlike a hitter where you don't have to discount it as much. So all the things put together, I, I, I would really hate to get Kashner for any significant sum of money. And I, I don't have the salaries here. Oh, no, there I do have the salaries here. So he made $10 million last year. I certainly would not want him at $10 million a year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it seems to make sense with some of these pitchers to do a shorter one- or two-year deal. But then you're talking about a, a lot more per year. Uh, then you're going to cost a lot more at that point per right. year, too. Right. Let's uh, look at Jason Vargas for a second. So he's 34, yeah. just was 18 and 11. Career ERA is below the league average. So 96 is his ERA plus, which means his ERA has been about 4% higher than the league average over his career. Um, I can't see a lot to like about this. More the, than a hit per inning. The appeal for Vargas is that he's left-handed. 
and we don't have any left-handers. I think I might rather go without. Yeah, <laughs> he had the left arm that he can use. Let's sign him. I mean, it's the Wade. Yeah. It's the Wade Miley replacement. Yeah, sure. Is he, he better than Wade Miley? <laughs> I, that's, I, a, that's a really good question. I don't know that he is. That's a low bar, though. Yeah. yeah. He had 27 homers in 179 innings last year. I mean, that that's a bad guy. That was in Kansas City. That's a bad yeah. guy to be bringing to Baltimore. Yeah, you want those ground ball pitchers. All right, well, we're going to have all offseason to break down the Orioles and talk about how their pursuit of these terrible starting pitchers. Hey, one last Oriole pitching thing that yeah, was in yeah. the news. Did you see right, Kevin Gosman got on Twitter this week? Oh, I, yeah. I what saw that all about? What, what's up with and that? And deleted a tweet? Yeah, he well, he tweeted... You can't trust anyone in this industry, and then 30 minutes later deleted the tweet. Does, does anyone know what that means? Nobody knows what it means, but the internet's going crazy with their own theories. I thought uh, he meant like uh, like show business, like the, the movie industry, because they're all turning into perverts. That was my – see, I had the same thought, like, because there's been like three or four – news stories this week with uh, each day it's an it seems like a higher level celebrity uh, or a, not a higher level but another name that you know which makes right. a whole lot of sense until he deleted it why does kevin gossman care about the movie industry <laughs> no because everyone does if you go out on the streets people are talking about kevin spacey and weinstein and uh, Louis C.K. was in the news yesterday with the same yeah. stuff. Everyone's talking about it. It's what the general people are talking about. I know you work from home and don't leave much. <laughs> it's what people are talking about. I know. Oh, I'm, I, I know that's what they're talking about, but it just seems weird that Kevin Gosman would tweet his opinion about you can't trust anybody in the movie industry. I think everyone in the Orioles Twitter Twitter's verse, whatever you call it, oh, yeah. uh, they want to think he's talking about the baseball business and <laughs> right. you can't trust anybody because there's some drama in the warehouse and Kevin Gaussman is upset about it. I, what he could possibly be upset about with the Orioles, I have no idea. And have you ever heard the Major League Baseball described as the industry? No. So, I mean, I know he's from like Louisiana or something, but still, the industry to me does not say it's Dan Duquette and Peter Angelos upsetting him. Actually, time for a little quick correction, Josh. He's from Colorado, I believe. I believe he's from Denver. What, did he go to school in Louisiana? to school in LSU. Well, it rubbed off. Yeah. yeah. Josh, you would know that if you got to interview him that day like me and Matt did. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, All right. So we have Ken McCusick here with us for the entire show. So I want to get to to Ravens. I know Ken on Russell Street Report is coming out with his midseason evaluations. So you guys should check that out. Ken, when, when is that cut coming out, your midseason evaluations? It'll be out Sunday for the defense and Tuesday for the offense. And has every player broken down into one of five categories. So you have the players who are on their rookie deals and contributing already. That's the best. You have the rookie develop, or sorry, the rookie deal developmental players. You have your veterans making market value but producing. You have veterans who are cap value concerns and other transitional players who there's no real future for on the roster. And then okay. the correspondent podcast for the Film Study Podcast comes out Monday night and Wednesday night. Okay, very good. And I assume most people listen to Section 36, also listen to, to, to the Film Study Podcast. And if you like the Ravens and you don't listen to the Film Study Podcast, you're doing it wrong. You should be listening to the Film Study Podcast. It's the best. So let's get into the Ravens a little bit. The uh, I want to talk Joe Flacco because he's, of course, kind of the, the quarterback's pretty important guy on a football team. I remember in 2012, 
when he was up for that new deal after the Super Bowl 2013, that's when all the elite talk started happening because Joe Flacco was talking about how he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league and he should get paid like that. And it was like this conversation about whether he's a lead or not. Now, fast forward to 2017, and it's like a punchline on a joke if he's a lead or not. People don't really take it ser- ser- seriously. Has, has Joe Flacco, has, has he, has he, was he better in 2013 and he's just gotten a lot worse? Or has the parts around him gotten worse? Or is Joe Flacco still the same? Like, what has happened to Joe Flacco from 2012 Super Bowl to now? Is it the same quarterback? What's up with him, Ken? Uh, a, lot, a lot of times I just don't like to talk about Joe Flacco for very long because there's, there's a nothing you can do about it situation. He's got a contract. Right. You can't get out from under it in a lot of ways. And when the Ravens do decide to move on from Flacco, it'll be an enormous organizational decision. We can talk about what that'll entail in, in maybe a minute here if you want. But uh, Joe, of course, has regressed as a quarterback. The injury played a part. I don't think he's ever really gotten comfortable again. He has very little in the way of mobility remaining. We did see him take a run, a short run for about seven yards the other day near the goal line and, and slid down. But he's got very little left in the way of mobility. Um, they're, they're even having trouble starting him from under center. And I'm trying to figure out what the problem is with that. Because when you, when you take the snap from under center, you can use the play-action game. When you don't, you have to read the field quicker. The defense knows you're likely to pass, and the pass rush is all over you. And, and I would think Joe would have more trouble with that. But uh, he, he seems to actually like shotgun snaps more. Ryan Jensen has had off and on problems with the shotgun snap this year, which have caused some additional difficulties for Joe. But when it comes down to it, he's getting enough ample time and space opportunities to have far more yards than he does this year, and he's not producing. And so, for, for instance, in the last game, and, and Josh and I talked about this on our show, of course, but uh, he had 30 of 54 dropbacks. That's 56%. He had ample time and space. And he that should put him in the mid to high sixes in terms of average yards per throw, but he, but he threw for 4.7 yards per throw. And so that's a, a big wasted opportunity in that game. Yeah, and I, I went and did some, did some research for, for uh, when I was thinking about Joe and, and looking at, I don't know what you prefer. There's like QB rating or quarterback rating or this passer rate rating. But if you look at like his passer rating, for example, he's never been great. Like even his rookie year was 80. He's always stayed around in the 80s as far as passer rating goes had one great year or two great years when it got into the 90s. But even last year was 83, which is right around his career average. So if you look at his numbers, whether it's QB rating or passer rating, he's always been average, never been great. But I think sometimes because of that Super Bowl run in 2012, we kind of overestimate how good he has been in his past. Okay, to be fair to Flacco, it's not just the 2012 Super Bowl run. Flacco has been a freaking great playoff quarterback. Uh, okay. He's he's 24 touchdowns and four interceptions in his last however many playoff games. Uh, you know he's he has he has the career record of was he now 10 and five something like that in the playoffs. He did, he, he lost in four years and he lost in 14 against. So that'd be five losses. I'm trying to think about how many wins he's got. I think 10 might be correct. He's the all-time record holder in terms of playoff road wins. Uh, you know this it just. It's too, Put Flacco down as as just a one Super Bowl run is just really not fair. But yes, Flacco has has had problems since that 2012 season. I I don't have any particular explanation for it. He was hurt, obviously the one time that may have impacted what's happened the last couple of years. But uh, you know, and just in general, his he's he's had a downhill trend to his career that I look at and I say I hope there's a way to reverse that. But you know, you start you start building other 
offensive opportunities around him, and you also start need, need to start preparing for the day you have to release him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and part of the issue is the the tools around him. The Ravens draft a couple years ago, Bashar Perriman, to 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 be one of their top receivers. It's a problem when your receiver has trouble catching a football. How bad? I want to put it on a scale here. How bad has Bashar Perriman been? Uh, looking back at past Ravens drafted receivers, let's say between one being Torrey Smith, I think the best one they've drafted, to yeah. 10 being Travis T- Taylor, the worst. Where uh, would no. Bashar Perriman rank on this? The problem is you're, you've already established the wrong scale because because or, or, or Perriman has to be off it at like a 17 or something because Taylor <laughs> Taylor at 10, I mean, he he had an okay career. He's, he was the worst Ravens number one draft pick for a while in there until they got Bowler. But they, but he was he was a uh, uh, you know a, a serviceable wide out for a fair number of years. I mean, right. uh, but, yeah, bad, bad pick. not nearly as bad as Perriman. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, is is there hope for Perriman? Like for, from what you've seen watching the film, is is this something he can improve upon, or is he is this a bust? Well, jo- Josh no. is shaking his head, no. and we <laughs> we know his opinion. But let me let me compare and contrast two players. One is Perriman, and the other is Correa. Okay, Correa in his second year has already gotten a fair amount of opportunity, including a chance at outside linebacker, a chance at inside linebacker when the job was completely vacant, absolutely no one else to take the job. You know, Peanut is an afterthought who would who would did not have the size to play the position, and. Uh, he has failed at both of them. He didn't. He didn't learn how to play either position. He didn't play well enough even to take the job from Peanut, who has not played well enough to hold the job, in my opinion. And you know, you're, you're left with uh, a guy who, after two years, who seems to have some learning deficiency in terms of positions, or may have that. Maybe they asked him to do too much. I mean, they asked Michael Orr to do a lot, and he had a lot of trouble at left tackle. But they've got to figure out now if and when Correa can help them again. It's a much worse situation to be with Perriman. Perriman, we know what the problem is, at least. You know, you can you can try and get him working on the jugs gun and working to catch the ball more effectively. Uh, he has to make better decisions about when to go up for the ball. And the last thing he needs to do is he needs to be a little bit braver with his midsection. And this is something a lot of speed receivers have trouble with. But he really alligator-armed the ball that went for the first interception the other day against Tennessee, where he didn't go up for a ball. A lot of people, Ryan Mink, I think, was saying that he, he got a hit from the blind side. That's the front side. I mean, look at the play. The guy who hit him was coming from the front side. <laughs> you know, he's actually falling, coming in at exactly where his eyes would normally go as he's tracking the football. So it, it made no that excuse made no sense to me. He needed to go up for that ball. We've seen that out of Clarence Moore before here in Baltimore, a receiver from about a decade ago who had some trouble going up for the ball as well. But receivers need to be able to put their midsection at risk. See, when when comparing draft picks, I like to compare Perriman to Kindle, and I think Perriman hurt the Ravens more than Kindle. It's fair in terms of what they what he actually did. If certainly, first of all, he used a higher draft pick. Kindle was a two, and Perriman's one, so you sacrifice a lot more draft value to get Perriman. And then Perriman on the field has been a, a, certainly a below the replacement level guy who's hurt the whereas Kindle just never made the team or never never got more than a handful of snaps. Yeah, so I agree it, with that. And then speaking of, I mean, you mentioned Correa too. Speaking of recent draft picks, I know Ozzie Newsom's been under some heat for recent draft picks. I'm just looking back, like in 2015, your top three guys are Perriman, Max Williams, Carl Davis. None of those guys have turned into impact players. Last year, Ronnie Stanley's been fine, but Correa is, is your second guy, and he hasn't been great either. Um, looking back at, you know, the, it's hard to, I know, assess this year's draft because it's still so early, but looking back, back at the last couple drafts, is this 
Uh, has Ozzie Newsom missed in 2015 and missed in 2016 a lot more than he should be missing? Uh, when you when you fail on your first round pick, that's where the problem is. So in 2017, I think they got a they got a really good first round pick. We're going to be fine with that one. Um, I, I want to go back to the actual list of draftees here and make sure that I am not missing anybody as I discuss this. But the but the I'll go back to the 2013 draft because I think that's one of the interesting ones. And, okay. Um, oh darn it! Where is this? I can find his team draftees. I want that. That's when we missed again the first round with Matt Elam. Missed it in, in the first round with him. Right, but but they but in the third round they got Brandon Williams, and right. they uh, they've had some success at other uh, places in that round. I'm trying to bring this up. I'm sorry, guys. I'm having a, having a hard time with this. But tell me who they got in 2013 if you've got that brought up. In yeah, I got it up here. Um, so Matt Elam in the first round, Arthur Brown in the second round, then Brandon Obviously Williams. Both failures. Yeah, yeah, and then fourth round, John Simon. Then Kyle Juszczyk, who's who turned into be a pretty good player. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Ricky Wagner. Uh, then Capron Lewis Moore, Ryan Jensen, Aaron Millette, and Mark Anthony. Okay, so I look at that draft and they got four good players out of it. You know, including Brandon Williams is the is was the in that draft correct? As a yes. three, yeah, okay. as a third round. So so is, is Williams, Juszczyk, uh Wagner, and Jensen. And Jensen, that's, yeah. that's a hell of a return on one draft. Yeah. That draft wasn't bad. It just was bad because the first two guys didn't work out. But if if you you know put any of those guys into the first round, and uh, you know like Brandon Williams or even like Ryan Jensen, and you say, you'd say Jensen was a slightly you know below the line first round pick, but you'd still be happy in general that you got a football player out of it. Yeah. Um, and see, I I look at the aggregate draft talent they got, and if they if they're going to succeed in the later rounds, that's fine as well. But uh, uh, anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm but, happy with that draft. If you look at, at the 15 draft, I think the Max Williams draft is the one that really looks bad. Right. Perriman, Williams, Carl Davis, Darius Smith, Buck Allen, Trey Walker, Nick Boyle, Robert Myers, Darren Waller. Yeah, that, that could literally be a complete whiff at this point. Uh, uh-huh. Obviously, a number of those players out of the out of the organization, unfortunately, Trey Walker, Trey Walker of course, is dead, but um, we... Uh, we have not gotten much return on that draft. Williams is hurt all the time. He looks like he's playing a little better this year. It'd be nice if he if he did well, but you know, players' option value goes down every year. So when they're in their fourth year, you don't have an option anymore to sign them to a long-term deal before that fourth year. So you you have the likelihood you're going to lose them to free agency, and then you you have to console yourself with value from the, uh, the compensatory pick if right. you get one. Hey, I don't know why you're dismissive of Buck Allen, who's our isn't he our leading receiver right now for the Ravens? <laughs> yeah, Buck Allen has averaged low low yards per touch guy is the problem, and uh, you know he's he's improved as a pass blocker this year all the way up to bad. Yeah, one of the problems with assessing these draft picks though is it does take three or four years to to assess whether a draft was good or not, and and often we want to see, I mean, with with whether you fire your general manager or not, you you are making kind of impulsive reactions based on a recent draft and that's not fair to do but at the same time like we can't sit around and wait until 2021 to decide if ozzy newsom did a good job in 2017 right so this becomes a bit of a tough issue on what to do right right all right um we we mentioned some offensive pieces there uh as far as defense goes this offseason the ravens poured a lot of resources both free agents uh money and both uh, draft picks into improving the, the defense. And the defense has been, it's been okay. 
but the run defense has been disappointing. It's one of the worst in the league in run defense. Um, have what? And I know you were really high preseason talking about this defense. Um, has the Ravens defense been as good as you were hoping they would be? And if not, what has gone wrong with this Ravens defense that's prevented them from being as good as they could be? All right. Well, the biggest problem is they're on the field too much in terms of, of what's gone wrong with the team. I mean, they've had injuries, not as severe as the offensive course, but the defensive line injuries have been quite serious. Uh, losing Brandon Williams was a huge blow, and then losing Urban, who was a, a really good pass rushing and, and uh, pocket compressor, uh, was, a, was a big blow as well. So now they're left with uh, a bunch of guys, and unfortunately they have a ton of depth at the position. But as Josh and I have been talking about, Bronson Kafusi is in the doghouse, it appears. He got five snaps in two consecutive games uh, and uh, all of a sudden is back on the bench. And on a team with literally has a very hard time putting 46 healthy guys on the field, Bronson has had a hard time getting on the active game day roster. Uh, you know, they've used Patrick Ricard on the offensive side and been unwilling to use him on the defensive line, even when they're only down to four linemen which is a strange situation to me. So they had a hmm. they had the game the other day, Pierce left because of the illness, and then the rest of the, the defensive line was sitting there playing every single snap. Um, they, had a, they had Ricard they could have brought over, but they really want to use him on offense now, apparently. And they had, uh, uh, you know, that was really the only other option they had. But they, they were using three linemen on the bulk of plays because they were playing mostly the standard defense. And that meant players like Willie Henry, who should have been a pass rushing specialist, is all of a sudden an every down player. So if you combine being on the field way more than you should be with lack of depth, kind of have this result. Yeah, you get to, you get tired if you've got thing. It's just in game depth. I mean, they've had eight offensive linemen at the beginning of the year. They're the only NFL team who carried eight. I w- I would bet. And, you know, very high quality. I mean, they just had nobody they could cut. And then all of a sudden they have nobody they can play. It's just a weird <laughs> you know situation to be in. Yeah, and this is not, I mean, injuries have, have affected everyone, so it's not just an issue with the Ravens, but certainly they have been affected. The If, if, if Burt was in charge of this franchise, if Burt was Steve Ashadi right now, I think everyone in the castle, everyone who shows up Sunday for the football games as far as coaches go, they would all be fired if Burt was in charge. Is that accurate, Burt? <laughs> At this point, you would have fired everybody. When's the last time we had a playoff game? I rest my case. <laughs> Uh, Ken, if the Ravens, again, don't make the playoffs, we know even from last year that Steve Ashadi's patience is running out. Um, if the Ravens don't make the playoffs, what do you think the Ravens will or should do as far as general manager, as far as coach? Because wow. someone has to be a scapegoat here, right, if they, if they, again, don't make the playoffs? Somebody has to be a scapegoat. I don't know. I, I don't think Steve <laughs> runs the organization that way, and I'd hope he wouldn't. But um, if, if, you're, if you're looking at this team right now, and, and then if you need to get rid of Harbaugh, I don't think we're at that point yet. I do think Marty Morningweg's probably going to have to go at the end of this year, probably regardless of the situation. And if Kubiak is able to come back, I mean, I wouldn't even mind if Morningweg stayed in a different uh, role, quarterback's coach or some other thing where he wasn't calling the game. I think the Ravens, the coaches that are safe right now, the offensive line is way overproduced. So those guys are safe. Craig Roman may, may get an increased role next year. And uh, and that that'd be one possibility. If I look at other other places on the team, uh, the defensive coordinator is not safe. I don't believe, and I think it's a creativity case with him. For the first year, Dean has addressed my longtime concern about the dime is that the the Ravens had always been a, a franchise that played the dime, and they had played as much as 34.5 percent dime in quarter snaps in 2000 when they had the the great defense. 
during the entire Pease era, they played 2.7% dime defense. Just absurd. And you know, he did it because he thought his, you know, he would talk about putting the best 11 on the field. Well, you know, you, you derive multiple benefits from not having Zach Orr, for example, on the field on third down. First of all, Zach Orr is fresher for other downs. Second of all, Zach Orr does not become a $4 sign player ever, and that's a positive as well. That you, 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 you want your second guy at inside linebacker to not be a guy you have to pay C.J. Mosley money to. Right? And the third thing you gain is you gain a specialist on third down who can help you on the highest leverage downs have significantly better results. And Anthony Levine proved to be that this year. Ravens' dime defense has been excellent, and they've finally gone to 20% dime, which is 8%, eight times the amount Dean has played in his first five seasons and been successful. The thing that I've been unhappy about this year with Dean is that he's not uh, doing as much to create pressure creatively. So he's not doing as much blitzing either by individual or any sort of deceptive measures, whether that's pre-stat movement, uh, stunts and, and twists, uh, blitzes from off the line of scrimmage, or what would be a fourth, um, dropping people from the line of scrimmage. So not very little of any of those, and, uh, and, and that means very few deceptive blitzes. And if you look at other teams, what they do against the Ravens, they're trying to deceive on almost every play. I mean, they, they, they do it regularly. They, they, you know, they drop two. They have two blitzing. They, they'll uh, do stunts and twists on us a, a lot. I mean, just take a look at one game of what's happening just from the, from the coaches filming. You see it is a, there's a big difference in terms of how, how much other teams are doing to create pressure. Yeah. That's, and that's, I mean, I know you're, you're not alone in that crit- criticism, and that's not a new thing with Dean Pease. Um, but, I mean, if the Ravens, again, don't make the playoffs, and I don't mean to sound like you have to have escape, like you have to fire someone just for the sake of firing somebody, but I mean, this is the, the nature of the league. If you don't make the playoffs, coaches get fired. And John Harbaugh, he may be doing the best job he can with the talent he has on the field, but if he doesn't make the playoffs again, uh, I, I would be surprised if he comes back if they don't make the playoffs. You still got to blame someone in the end. Well, I, I mean, whether it's right or wrong, that seems to be the direction that the league goes, right? Flacco made some comments this week during the bye week about wanting to open up the offense and really push the offense. And to me, that makes that points all of the blame at Marty. And mm-hmm. I think we saw this years ago with Joe made comments about the offense and they got rid of Cam. So I think that's... And the, and the last two weeks before uh, 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 Joe got concussed, he was taking shots down the field. Right. And even last week against Tennessee, I think he took more shots down the field. And maybe, Ken, you can correct this if I'm wrong, but it felt like he took more shots down the field he against did. Tennessee than he had in, in the, the previous games of the season. Right. I mean, not, not necessarily with great results. Obviously, the, the throw to right. Perriman had the was intercepted. It, Oakland was the game that he had the most shots down the field, as I as okay. I'm just qualitatively thinking about it. No, maybe not correctly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm concerned obviously about about what they do. I I hope that Harbaugh will not be a guy who uh, completely lays down about his coordinators. But then on the other side, I hope he will be realistic about who ought to be kept and who not. And I don't think that happened this last year. Uh, I, I think that he was too loyal to his guys and 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 thought yes, Marty's a guy we should keep and Dean is a guy we should keep. I think D- Dean is 68 years old. For for starters, it just helps to have some fresh blood at some point, a fresh new way of addressing things and thinking. I mean, I want the next Ravens defensive coach to be another revolutionary. And the Ravens had three consecutive ones in Marvin Lewis, in Nolan, less a little less so, but still a, a pretty revolutionary coach. 
and in Ryan. I mean, those are three yeah. guys who redefine the, the, the role and, and how you ought to play defense in the NFL. And, and that's not what Dean Pease is. I mean, he's just not. He's a, he's a let's try and, and minimize and optimize guy without being a let's try something new guy. Right. You, yeah. want, you want a coach that's so good that they want to give him opportunities to be the head coach in right. other teams. No and one's I, knocking down the door asking for Dean Pease to be a head coach. Exactly. Yeah. But I think that's why uh, comments by a guy like Kubiak makes it a little easier for uh, Steve Bushotti to go to Harbaugh and say, hey, uh, we should get rid of Marty if we can get a guy like Kubiak is way better than saying get rid of Marty and I don't know who we can bring in. Right, I agree. There's, uh, the, you need to have a plan. And that's my problem generally with people around town who are uh, who are just say burn everything. Okay? He's talking to you, Bert. It's, it's, it's the, I hear him. It's I hear the him. absence <laughs> of a plan. It is the absence of a plan by definition. We've got a, we've got a guy over at, at Russell Street Report who's doing it too. And, and he, he, he you know, basically says, fire everybody, fire Ozzy, fire – okay, and replace them with what? Let's start with yeah. that. You know, because if you don't have a plan to do that, you're going to make the situation even worse. Just look at the freaking Browns. That's all you need to do to figure out what's uh, how that strategy does not work. Well, and, and last time we fired everyone, we replaced them with the Browns. <laughs> but but right. again, the argument against uh, the argument against that, Ken, the other side of that is before John Harbaugh was hired as our coach, no one knew who John Harbaugh was really, right? But we just discovered and we found him. Yeah, he'd been a ten-year coach around the a league. I don't know what Special else he had done. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know what other co- head coaching interviews he had had at that yeah. point. But he obviously is well enough thought of to to make their list. I don't know how exactly. So you're going with the the castle knows people higher up that we don't know as as normal just fans. Is that what you're trying to say, man? Oh, I, I certainly mean, I hope they do. Right. I mean, certainly, uh, no one's going to fire anyone without having any idea of a replacement, right? Like you right. wouldn't do that. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. I do I do think the Ravens have an ideal owner for this. And I look at the the Harbaugh hiring came in the off season with a booklet, uh, the little magazine the Ravens sent out that had a, about eight pages devoted to the hiring process for John Harbaugh, and it's extremely well written. And the reason I think they did that is at Bishotti's direction, because Bishotti made his money as a a, a, a talent guy. So he, in, in terms of uh, hiring, uh, what do you call yeah, it, recruiting he, guy. Right. He's a, he was yeah. a, a temp filler yeah. for high-end so, uh, tech, tech people. Yeah. So, so anyway, it, it makes sense that his background would lend itself well to rebuilding, whether it's a front office or a coaching staff or whatever, uh, if, he, if he has the proper evaluations of those guys. So I, I would think that he'll have a very measured process. He'll have a good process for how they determine if these guys are, are going to be good. And I think, by the way, Bishotti is the guy who has probably pushed the Ravens towards having some additional analytics guys on their team. I don't think it's – there's only four guys who could really do it. If, if, if it's, I can't believe it's Dick Cass because I don't think he really has enough to do with football operations to be the guy. So it could be Ozzy, and I just don't really believe Ozzy is the guy who is, wants to bring analytics into the organization. I know it's not Harbaugh because Harbaugh is, is way – he would be too protective of his own turf – to think about what what an analytics guy might do in the organization, uh, you know, to, to undermine him, and then uh, uh, Bishotti would make the most sense because he's you know being being from the background he wants he wants to understand why something is uh, is true or why they're making a hire. So right. Also, like- also just the fact that he is a big baseball fan and he has seen how analytics has changed the game of baseball. Right. That's a good point. The last I wonder, I heard, what. what- what are they, what are, what's the analytical explanation for 
Harbaugh's first five years coaching this team, we made the playoffs every year, and now this is his fifth season since winning the playoffs. We're probably not going to make the playoffs this year, so it'll be only one playoff appearance in his past five years. So what, what changed? This is his 10th year coaching the team. His first five years were massive successes. The players. His most recent right. five years have been terrible. I shouldn't even have to answer this question for you because you can go to the encyclopedia and look at exactly what went wrong. I mean, seriously, the the the, the quarterback. I want to hear his answer. <laughs> a quarterback has had five years of decline from his best season. He immediately had his very worst season, the season after the Super Bowl. Um, the offensive line has been not nearly as good as it was in all of the run. I mean, they they, they had together. What we did not appreciate at the time was a, just a fantastic interior offensive line of Grubbs, Burke, and Yonda for an extended period. They had a tackle in Gaither who was very good when he wanted to play in those two years. And they had, they had another tackle who was adequate on the right side in Orr. So they, you know, they had a great offensive line there for a good long time. That's hard to do. They had a good quarterback who was managing the game behind it, and they had great defensive players led by Reed and Lewis. Reed and Lewis retired at basically the same time, left the Ravens at basically the same time anyway. Um, you know, if you look at the rest of the town, it's very hard to rebuild cornerstone players from that. They were fortunate. They had Terrell Suggs. They, you know, they had uh, some of the pieces they needed to, to to continue on with the defensive thing. But it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to maintain over years. And then, of course, the draft picks have been okay but not great during the last five years. Certainly nothing we, we're, we're, we're thrilled about. We haven't, we haven't had the, uh, a Flacco-Rice-type draft or a Lewis-Ogden-type draft in that period, even though we've had some, some reasonable ones in terms of getting some decent players. So... Combination of factors, um, and and you know it's a a broad set of things, and you're always fighting against the cap. The other thing I'll point out is that when Flacco got paid, you went from five million in your quarterback position to twenty five million in your quarterback position. That's twenty million in cap you can't use elsewhere, and that is the single probably biggest differentiator. Yeah, yeah, and and the curse of Ray Rice. <laughs> yeah, yeah there I mean, are a lot of injuries to. Yeah. It's really hard to tell, and this is true with baseball, all sports, right? What difference a manager or coach makes. And because when the players are playing well, we tend to give all the praise to, to the players being good players. And when things go south, we tend to quickly jump on the coach as the face of, of what's going wrong. And it's really, and so you have to take a real discerning eye and a careful eye to be able to discern what's the coach's responsibility and coach's fault here and what's other people's faults and responsibilities. Right. So it's, it's a tough that, that's a good that's a good point and even in a bad year it, the worst situation is you have a bad year and the, you're also having a good coaching year because then you can't project forward into any positive things here and unfortunately i think that's where the ravens are with their offensive line right now they're having a great coaching year for the offensive line and three guys in the middle of that offensive line are producing when they've got no history or or you know expectation of producing so hurst all of a sudden has become a good player at guard uh, you know, we have Jensen, who's all of a sudden become, a, you know, one of the better centers in the league. And unfortunately, they're both going to be free agents at the end of the year. And then you have uh, Skura, who's playing very well at right guard right now. So it's uh, I think I, I really have to credit the coaching for that. And unfortunately, it, it means that a lot of it may not be replicatable if they make changes. Right. Right. Um, if I can zoom out here for a second and let's take a bird's eye view of the season. Bird's eye view. That would be the good name for a podcast. Someone should get on that. But let's take like a, a, a zoomed out uh picture of, of of the season we lost we won the first two games the first game in cincinnati turns out cincinnati is not as good as we thought they were i think at the beginning of the season and then we beat the browns then we lost a bizarre game 
in London to the Jaguars. And it turns out, I think, that the Jaguars are a little bit better than we all thought they were at the beginning right. of the season. Uh, and then we lost to the Steelers, which is understandable. The Steelers are always a really good team. And then we beat the Raiders. Then we lost to the Bears. That's one, if you look at the season, that really stands out, that lost to the Bears. And we followed that up with a loss to the Vikings. Then just a couple of weeks ago, we blew out the Dolphins in kind of a bizarre game as well. And then last week, we lost to the Titans. I mean, this season, this team streams of mediocrity. But if you look at the schedule ahead, you just can't help but look at the schedule ahead and look at these teams. Next week, we play the Packers without Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Uh, then after that, we play the Texans without Deshaun Watson. Who, both teams have struggled since their quarterbacks have gone down. Right. Then we play the Lions. And then we play the Steelers. But after that, the last three games of the season, Browns, who are a joke of a franchise. Colts, who right now are a joke of a franchise. And Cincinnati, who we, who we beat uh, the opening week of the season, who, who are not a very good – and they are not a very good team this year. So if you look at that schedule – I mean, I know Burt wants to say, I'm going to Costco every Sunday and not watching another Ravens football game. But if you look at that schedule, Ken, you can't help but be somewhat optimistic for the second half of the season. Right. I mean, I think an optimist would always be optimistic about this. But even looking at it just from a very realistic perspective, I mean, they've got six games they should be favored in out of those seven games, including Detroit in there. I didn't think I, I don't know if you mentioned him or not, but the, the, uh, uh, they should they should win six they, they should be favored to win six of those seven games, and five wins might get them in. Six wins will almost certainly get them in. Um, unfortunately, the loss to Tennessee put them in a position where if Buffalo and Tennessee continue to play well, that they're not going to be able to to catch them. But I think one of those two at least will will drop to five hundred or or. At worst, drop to nine and seven. So six and one will do it for sure. And if you look at the, there's uh, on Football Outsiders, they have something called Devoa. Devoa looks at its defensive value over average, but essentially ranks the team in terms of their offense, defense, and special teams. And the Ravens still are, are a top half Devoa team. A couple of teams ahead of them are complete garbage in the, in the Texans and the Packers. And the playoff odds report still has the Ravens at 40% to make the playoffs right now. 40%. Now, really? You'd really have to be a, an awful Ravens pessimist not to think, you know, I can live with that right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, right. If, if you go down to the Inner Harbor and take your own poll, you are not going to get 40%. There you yeah, go. Yeah, we're, we're talking 5% mm-hmm. or lower. Bert, what's the percentage chance the Ravens make the playoffs this year? <laughs> I, I wouldn't have said 40%, but if, if he's got stats that are, are saying uh, 40%, I, like you said, I'm, I'm very pessimistic, but I can live with that. <laughs> okay, look at football, football Outsiders Playoff Odds Report. You can bring it up right now and take a look at it if you want, but it's still a, a reasonable possibility. Yeah, but all right, see, all that, you. you're, you're assuming that at worst the Ravens go 5-2, and two, and at best they go 6-1. and one. Bert, what do you think the chances are that the Ravens go 6-1 and one from here on out? Very slim. Uh, you know, I, they, there's certain Sundays they don't show up. And uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like the odds. I, and, yeah. what, and even then, even then, if you get in the playoffs, you got to hope the Joe, Mag- Joe Flacco playoff magic happens again because he's not going to win playoff games the way he's been playing this season. Or the way that he's yeah. going, you got to hope that every starting quarterback in the AFC gets hurt. And Joe when Flacco you're playing the Steelers. When you're playing the Steelers and the Patriots and, and teams that are good. But that's uh, it, right? you, you got to have some fluky things happen. Patriots have a lot, of, a lot of problems right now. But anyway, the, we, we don't need to get into all that. I, <laughs> I, I do think the Ravens at their best are capable of beating most of the teams in the AFC, including the Chiefs and the Patriots. 
we've seen the we've seen the you know the forty to nothing demolishing of the Dolphins. We've seen the twenty to nothing road demolishing of Cincinnati. I mean, they've had good wins when they played well this year. It, they just have not overall played well. This is a team that still outscored their opponents by nineteen points despite that embarrassment in London. Uh, it's hard for me to you know to really understand how Ravens fans can be so. Um, bipolar that from week to week, you know, you're, 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 the team is terrible. They suck, and then they beat Miami forty nothing. And oh, I'll just keep now they're going to make the playoffs. It's pretty clear. And now they lose a game like they they did, you know, on Sunday, and now they're, they're terrible again. So well, it's, it's because the team itself is bipolar. We don't know what we're going <laughs> to yeah, get from the team that's playing. Right now, if you want to go on that forty percent, I guess that's positive side. I guess we also got to take into account that. Health has been a major issue this year, and right. to have the bye week come at a good time that uh, Woodhead should be back next Sunday, and some other guys are coming back. So that should be some something to be hopeful for? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you're looking at how can the offense improve, that's a good point, Josh. And you, and you gotta you got to find credible reasons why the team can improve from this point forward, and health would be one reason that they'll get Woodhead back, that Kennedy, who we've only seen nine snaps from, ends up being a significant performer on the defense and, and outplays Webb, or that Hill, the combination of Hill and Kennedy takes over the slot and does a better job with that. You could say that you know you wasted snaps on Correa in the first half of the year and he didn't do anything, and now you've got them all in peanut now, and that might be slightly better. You could say that you know Weddle and Jefferson have played so far below where they were last year that they must improve in the second half. That there's there's almost no place for them to go but improve. And the other thing I think you can say is now that they've got more flexibility of defensive talent in terms of who they play at slot corner and who they play at safety, that they're going to have an opportunity to make better usage in the second half of Tony Jefferson, get him up in the box, covering the tight end where he's very effective last year, and use Weddle more exclusively on the back end. So I'd be excited about a lot of those individual things possibly making the Ravens better in the second half. Okay, that's fair. I, w- I want to quickly correct you on the opening of that statement. You mentioned that Josh made a good point. A, Josh doesn't make good points. <laughs> B, when Josh makes good points, we don't like to a- a- acknowledge them. But, but oh, whatever, sorry, that's Sorry, fine. Josh. <laughs> as far as the – Josh mentioned Danny Woodhead. What, and I think Wes might be coming back too. What's going to be our running back situation? I mean, Alex Collins has been really impressive. Buck Allen has been so-so. But when West comes back, and what? I mean, you can't keep all these guys on the roster, right? So what's going to happen here with the running back situation? I don't. I mean, I don't see how West has a place on this team. But we'll we'll see how this plays out. Rainey is here on a oh, temporary too, basis, yeah. but he's shown a little bit. And you know, it, it's hard to really you know, just decide you want to get rid of him. We'll see. West is a fresh set of legs. We'll see if he can provide something. But, you know, Alex Collins' fumbling problems have been front and center when he's done, you know, five and a half yards of carry. What about West's fumbling problems? I mean, seriously, what, what about them? I mean, yeah. The only difference is the Ravens have recovered some of those fumbles themselves. So um, I'm a little concerned about that. I think West probably gets a diminished role the rest of the year, and I think he's probably in his last year with the Ravens right now. You know, I was surprised. I was looking at some stats getting ready for the show. I was surprised. I, I know Buck Allen has, like, the most receptions on the team. But Collins, who seems to be really good in quick and open space, mm-hmm. Alex Collins only has, I think, three receptions on the year. Why, why is Alex Collins not getting more pass receptions when Joe loves to throw to running backs? Right. That's, that's a little strange. Um, when Collins is in there, a very high percentage of his snaps in total, he's been in there. He's run the ball. So it's, okay. it's it's almost like a, a tip off that he's that you know he's in there. He's played some pony backfield where where they've given the ball to the to the uh, to Allen as the fullback. Uh, that's that's really unusual to, for any NFL team to do. But the Ravens have run it like eight or nine snaps this year. Uh, but I looked at at Collins also as a guy who could catch the football. He had eleven out of eleven receptions on per, on targets in his 
previous year at Seattle, so it would have made sense to me that he would be in there. There was another guy on, on Twitter who had looked at some of his pass blocking. That looked to be pretty good, too. And all I'll say is I really haven't seen that out of Collins this year. So hopefully he'll get some of those chances. And it does make sense to me also that he'd be used more in the passing game. Yeah. But then with Danny Woodhead comes back, I know Danny Woodhead is, they expect him to help in the passing game as well, right? Um, so it's, <laughs> the, the, the guy who's second on the team receptions is Ben Watson. Uh, and I think that's never a good thing, right? When your top two receivers are, is a running back and a tight end, right? You would want to see, and hopefully they can get these wide receivers involved more. You, yeah, you would like that. I mean, I, I, I understand why it happens on a lot of teams, particularly with one, younger quarterbacks that ends up being a tight end or a running back who's the who's the primary receiver. But, uh, yeah, you I would prefer to have it be a wide receiver if possible. Yeah. Have you been impressed with – I know Jeremy Macklin was – Jeremy Macklin was a big offseason acquisition for the offensive side. Have you been pleased uh, with what Jeremy, Jeremy Macklin has brought this team? You know, when he's been on the field, I think he's been fine. Uh, the the eight out of nine catches this last week could be a big turning point because Flacco needs somebody he can turn to and be confident that he'll catch the ball. Yeah, and even before that, he had a nice touchdown catch against Miami um, before did. Joe got hurt. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, I'm I want to get to uh, and Ken every week. I I, I do on here a, a snowflake of the week or a strawberry of the week where we kind of call out people these millennials for being millennials <laughs> and this is coming from and we're allowed to do it ken because we're millennials and so we can bash what? other millennials because we are i'm not a millennial bert's yeah, not a millennial no I okay well i am and it's my segment so i feel like i can do it well i definitely the big joke on our show is that i i call a hashtag a pound sign yeah so, <laughs> yeah. so you are definitely not a millennial show, ken. you are what we would call a coconut that's a coconut comment right there that it's a pound coconuts sign. are good yeah, coconuts are the opposite of strawberries. Okay. Uh, so, so here's this. I uh, my my wife my wife's friend told made me aware of this story, and my wife is 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 a, a strawberry as well, a millennial strawberry, and so is her friend, and they were really excited about this. And Bert, you would appreciate this story, I think, more than any of us. All right. Um, because you've been into drinking. What what have you been into drinking lately? The last beer? couple of times I've seen you. No, not beer. That's a coconut move. The last couple of times I've seen you, you've been drinking what? The, Oh, LaCroix. Yeah, what is that? It's uh, it's, it's flavored, like water flavored water. With yeah. carbonation. Yeah. Carbonated yeah. flavored water. So, Paris. Because snowflakes don't just happen in America. They happen all across the world, boys and girls. Watch out. Paris, um, they're taking their water fountains and they're turning them into sparkling water fountains. So, not, it won't just be normal water coming out. It'll be sparkling water. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound I, like a bad idea. When I first heard that that story, I thought for sure this was like the onion fake hashtag fake news or um, pound sign fake news. Uh, but <laughs> if, if you look at, I read I read the article Huffington Post. They're replacing the normal water fountains with sparkling water 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 fountains. That's such a snowflake strawberry move. What makes the water sparkling? I don't know. It, is I it mean, it's carbonation. It's, it's carbonation. It's carbonation. Yeah. Okay. So they are they pumping CO two into the water at the site, or are they pumping in carbonated water from some other source? Do no, you know they that? they would have to do it. It'd have to be built into the water fountain. I don't mm -hmm. think you can pump carbonation down like city city pipes. Right there, you go. Yeah, no, I've seen a picture of it. It's like a whole machine, and you put your cup under the machine, and it puts out sparkling water. I don't know. To me, it kind of seems like the equivalent of if you go to uh, one of these restaurants that has like the big soda electronic soda machine. 
that, that now you okay. can put any flavor you want in your soda and, and make it custom to you. This kind of just oh. seems like the same type of thing. It's just modernizing something that's been there forever. So this is not a strawberry move. This who, who drinks sparkling water anyway besides Bert? I never heard such a thing. Well, the strawberry move, are they adding flavors? Can you go up there and say, I want raspberry or strawberry or peach? That's just a, it's a matter of time, but not yet. No. What now? That's that's like crazy to think of a strawberry drinking strawberry flavored sparkling water. <laughs> it is uh, yeah, just wonderful there. Do you, do you guys have anything you, you do when you go to restaurants? And maybe this is, tell me if this is a strawberry coconut move. When you yeah, go yeah. to a restaurant and you and you order something that's not exactly on the menu, but it's exactly the way you want it, and you're very specific about it, is that a strawberry or a coconut move? No, it's a the, definite strawberry move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You find a yeah. new restaurant that serves what you want. You don't order yeah. off menu. I, I order off menu a fair amount, <laughs> and, and I, I, I got this from from the days of gambling because because you you go to Las Vegas and they expect you to be a high roller if you're playing for high roller money. So I, I say, okay, look, I, 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 there's nothing I have here that I want exactly, but can you instead get me a BLT, toss some avocado on there, and then throw in some <laughs> additional jalapeno bacon on two layers. Charge me whatever you got to charge me. Right. They would always say that because they're always paying for it. And then throw so, in a little spit. Yeah, yeah <laughs> unfortunately, you might end up getting that. No, yeah, no, but, I, but anyway. I, I'm thinking about it more, and that's really kind of a good question because if I'm going out, may, may, maybe on a date, and I want to impress somebody, ordering <laughs> off the menu is kind of an impressive move. Like, look at this guy; he's got the, he's got the guts to just go way off the menu. So I, or, I, or I, gotta, I gotta think about this one. Or your date might leave thinking, "Who does this guy think he is?" Yes, yes. <laughs> it, it, could, it could definitely work out that way too. That's true too. Yeah, but no, that's a strawberry move. We should. This should be a new segment: uh, strawberry or coconut. Because I saw one article today too that I wasn't sure if he was a coconut strawberry. This uh, there's a, a hockey coach. I don't know if you guys saw the story for for uh, it was a, like an under 14 youth hockey. Okay. And he got and he got fired from being a youth hockey coach because he went on uh, he his halftime speech was a little bit a little bit rough. He said things like this is his halftime speech. He said to all these little kids 14 and younger. I want to see you stick your hands up these guys bleep and work them like a bleeping puppet. <laughs> and he yelled, Got it. I want to see you beat up Green Mountain, bleep Green Mountain, bleep their coaches, bleep their wives, bleep their friends. Now is that now on the one hand, we want our coaches as far as coconuts to be tough and we want our kids to be tough and be able to handle some tough correction. On the other hand, this seems a bit <laughs> I, a bit over the top. Yeah, I think I'd pull my kids off that team. I don't. Yeah. I don't think my kids need to be on that team. I don't think that's a strawberry move, um, unless. Is that a coconut I mean, move? Topping them off. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a crazy uh, coach who doesn't have kids of his own. Maybe the guy with rage problems, possibly. I like the opening line of the article from this is again the Huffington Post. The opening the opening line of the article is he wanted the kids fired up. Now he's fired. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a millennial he headline yeah that's a good headline i like that headline all right that's that's my snowflakes of the, but i like this as a new segment ken uh snowflake or or i mean strawberry or coconut move i like that we, we can decide whether it's a strawberry coconut i'm sorry josh okay. i perpetuated your brother's idea there I apologize <laughs> you you I I put, you're in hell now <laughs> uh, no, it works. like a little five minute segment at the end of the show this is eventually going to be our entire show is just me talking about strawberries and coconut i tell you what if you want to talk about connect to the ravens 
I think the Ravens have a, a good blend of strawberries and coconut. It sounds like from the way you're describing Perryman and the way it goes after football sometimes, a bit of a strawberry. strawberry. But most wide receivers are. So far. Who do you think is the biggest coconut on the Ravens? The toughest guy. He, he's a Suggs guy. I do like oh, yeah. Suggs. Good talk. Uh, I like you know, I like what Jimmy Smith has done this year. I like uh, Brandon Williams. Uh, offensive line, I like Jensen. Uh, yeah. I certainly like what Ronnie Stanley has done. You know, maybe Jensen of the players on this team has, has shown the most coconutty goodness this year. <laughs> I do like Jensen. Jensen making that move to uh, protect Flacco is definitely a coconut move. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's Jimmy, a guy that might be... He might be the most ahead. coconut, but with that red hair, he looks like a strawberry. Yeah. <laughs> he's an instigator boy, though. It's fun to watch in that window. Mm -hmm. so Ravens always had to play against Heinz Ward. We hate that. He always come away smiling from the play, and you know some Raven has an unnecessary roughness foul against him. But it's nice to have the, have the guy who's instigated for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely agree. And coconuts are often instigators. That's good. Yeah. And I would think you got to look first the offense, the defensive line, and talking about coconuts. All right. That's enough coconut talk. Ken, you. Yeah. You created a monster pack. Uh, I blame. I will blame you forever now. When the coconut segment takes 30 minutes of the show, I'm gonna blame you. All right, boys and girls. Thanks for listening. You make sure you. Okay. A couple things you got to do if you listen to our podcast. You got to go to iTunes and subscribe and write us a review. You also, while you're there, while you're on iTunes, swing over to Film Study. You can just, it's called Film Study with Ken, right? Or Film Study with Ken McCusick? Yeah, you got it. Film Study so with Ken McCusick. Yeah, so go ahead and subscribe to that, too, so you can get, hear, hear Ken, what, twice a week talk about Breakdown Ravens offense. Do great stuff. Um, this like is, us on Facebook. This is, also, go ahead, Jeff. this is also where we got to set everyone straight that this is our episode for the week. You got it early. It doesn't mean one's coming out on Tuesday as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we always, a reason we always, for that, Josh? Because I think there's a reason for that, isn't there? I don't know. We're trying to fit into Ken's schedule. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Somebody, somebody's no, going I'm, on vacation. I'm going on vacation this week, so we're recording on Saturday. But every time we release the podcast early, people then say, all right, so I'll see you Monday night also. And no. That's good. That's good. They, they, they are in need of your show. That's great. Yeah. Creatures and of habit. Yes. And next week, I think we're going to be Monday next week, actually. Is that right? Or the week after that, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. We're going uh, to follow us on Twitter. To follow us on Twitter. At Section yeah, yeah. Show. You can follow me on Twitter at Section 36. You can follow Ken McCusick on Twitter. And that's talk about breaking down the Ravens tweet by tweet with all his pound signs. Uh, you definitely do that as a Ravens fan. So you can follow Ken on Twitter. Yes, at Film Study Ravens. And you can follow Bert on Twitter. At Bert Brody. And you can follow Josh on Twitter. At Josh Soroka. Thanks for listening, boys and girls. And as always, go Ravens. Thank you for listening to the Section 336 podcast. Please go to iTunes and Facebook for all complaints or the occasional compliment. If I were you, I would not take any baseball advice from these guys. Josh and Matt were raised by an Orioles-obsessed father, and Bert, uh, well, Bert fell in love with Don Mattingly. He has a thing for mustaches.